Beginning of Parashas Toldos. Vela Toldos, Yitzchak ben Avraham. Avraham Alidus Yitzchak. The Torah relates Yitzchak was 40 years old when he married Rivka. It says, It says that Rivka was barren. Hashem answered his tefillah and Rivka conceived and she eventually bore Yaakov and Esau. Barrenness, not exactly clear what the Torah means by Akara. There are various midrashim the, that, that describe the barrenness, as we'll see presently, the, the, a number of the Mahos and even the Avos, according to the midrashim, were barren, were infertile. And the Chazal explained they weren't just infertile; they were actually lacking certain. Uh, they were actually lacking certain organs, certain certain fundamental parts of the body needed to uh, reproduce. But traditional maker is not always clear what akara means. Even today, infertility is a, is a broad spectrum term that can encompass a whole variety of different types of problems. Akara can simply mean that she didn't have children. It can mean there was something specific wrong with her. Something specifically wrong with her, but in any event, Rivka is described as an akara. Hashem answers Yitzchak Tfila, and they have Yaakov and Esau. As we just noted, several of the Imahos were described as being barren, as being akara. Back in Parshas Noach, it says, Vati Sarai, as soon as we're introduced to Avram and Sarai, to Avram and Sarah in their original names, we're told right away, Vati Sarai akara, ain't love Sarai is an akara. Later in Parashas Lech Lecha, we have the, we have, it reiterates, the Sarai Eshes of Ram Loyaldolo, she hadn't borne him a child, she had a shifcha named Hagar, an Egyptian shifcha, she told Avram, so she gave, she gave her shifcha, Hagar the Mitzris, to Avram at, uh, after 10 years of living in Eretz Canaan, and uh, the Torah then proceeds with the uh, problems that caused. Rachel is described as an Akara. It says in Parshas Vayetze, it says, Vayar Hashem Rachel Akara. It says that the, it says that the, Hashem saw that Leah was hated or less liked than, than Rachel. The Torah have different interpretations of that. So Hashem gave her, gave her child, gave her children. But Rachel, Rachel, what Rachel remained, Rachel was and remained for a while. And Akara again, Rachel was barren. Midrash actually adds that Leah was an Akara as well. It says Sheva Akara Saint. There are seven famous biblical figures who were, or not, not exactly all humans, but there are seven, seven biblical figures who were Akaros, Sarah, explicit pasuk and Pashas Noach. Rivka, Arpasha, Rachel, Pasha's Vayetze, Vileah. Leah was an Akara. How do we know Leah was an Akara? Midrash says, it says, Vayiftach Hashem as Rachmah, Hashem opened to Rechem. The implication is, it needed uh, an act of God, literally. It needed uh, a nace, it needed something, Hashem had to do something to make her have children, because she was really an Akara. May not be Pshutu Shal Mikra, but that's what the Midrash says. Ishto Shal Manoach. Ishto Shal Manoach is another of the famous... Akara is, is another is, is another of the famous Akaros in the Torah. This is the Haftarah we in, in the in, in the Navi. This is a this is the Haftarah that we read for Parshas for Parshas Naso. The Parsha of the Parshas Naso contains the contains the the laws of the of the Nazir among many other things, along with Parsha and the Chumash. And we read about the famous most famous Nazir in Jewish history, Shimshon. 
So the, the story begins in Shoftim, by the, there are Midrashim that say what her name was, the, the, but at least right here in, the, in Shoftim it doesn't say her name. It just says, Ishto Shel Manoach, she is number, she is number five. Chana, Chana is number six. Chana is the Haftarah that we read on the first day of Rosh Hashanah. We, we read in the Torah the, the story of the birth of Yitzchak on the first day of Rosh Hashanah. So we, the Haftarah is from the, the Haftarah is from the, from the story in Shmuel, the beginning of Shmuel, about the, about the birth of Shmuel. Chana is described as being an Akara. Tzion. Chana, it says, it, 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 the, the Midrash doesn't bring the word Akara, it just says, Chana had no children. And then Tzion. Tzion is Rani Akara lo Yolada. Tzion is called an Akara. So, uh, so okay, that's... Uh, a little different from the other six who are all ordinary human beings. Tzion is called an Akara. Seven Akaras. There are other examples in the Torah of, notab- of in, in Tanakh of notable women who didn't have children. The Aftara, so for the birth of Yitzhak and Rosh Hashanah, we read the, the story of, of Chana, the birth of Shmuel. For Pashas Vayera, we actually read a, different, a story of a different woman who was barren, and that is the story of Elisha and the Elisha and the Shunamis. It says that there was it says that it says that there was a there was a woman who had been very kind, very hospitable to to Elisha. She gave him an apartment and furniture, a place to a place to stay when he was with her. So he asked, "What can I do for you?" And she she said, "I'm fine. I don't need anything." But then it says uh, it says he told him that that she doesn't have children. I don't know. Again, she's not described as being barren, but she had no children, and her husband was old. Another uh, childless woman. The theme of Akras of barrenness of childlessness, as we see, is a fairly common theme in uh, in Tanakh. Sefer Bracious as a whole, of course, is about the 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 saga of the Avos and Imos, the, the patriarchs and matriarchs. It describes their, their uh, how Hashem helped them and and their triumphs, but it also describes their nisyonos. Avram has ten nisyonos, uh, but uh, but they all had their various trials, and childlessness was. Was one of the major ones. As we've seen, we have we, we have both uh, we have Sarah, Rivka, and Rachel. Three out of four of the Mahos are explicitly described as being barren, as being Akaros. Leah as well, according to the Midrash, plus these other women in Tanakh. So Akaros childlessness was a was a major uh, was a major trial that many of the many of the great uh, tzaddikim and kaniyos in our history had to contend with. Before we go further, I just have to mention the the Ralbag. Ralbag has one of the most uh, fascinating bits of Parshana Samikra I've ever seen. On Sarai's suggestion to Avram that because she didn't have children, he, she said, take hugger. What was, what was the pshat in that? The Rachel later suggested the same thing. She told Yaakov, take my, my shivcha, take Bilha. What was the idea? The, the, the language of the psukim is very... Is very uh, very obscure. She, she tells Avram, Hashem, Hashem has withheld children from me. Here's my shifcha. Bury my shifcha. Perhaps I shall be built. I shall obtain children by her. What does that mean? How, how would Avram having children through Hagar be considered a binyan for Sarah? So the Ralbag has a uh, fascinating idea. He says, Rachel it says, uh, he says, Sarah, 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 was, 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 saw she was infertile. She didn't know exactly why. 
she suspected that it was because she was overweight. He says that he says that we find that hashuman v'hadashnus is a siba lamiyot hazera. It can uh, it can it can it can hinder fertility even today. Apparently, the that's what science believes that being being overweight being overweight is. Uh, is a risk factor for many, many medical conditions, but apparently fertility in particular. Being overweight can be an uh, adverse uh, condition with respect to fertility. So, sorry, I thought, we know in traditional cultures that anthropologists tell us, I think, that being uh, fleshy was considered attractive because it meant you were healthy, it meant you had enough food, and you so weren't wealthy. Wealthy, right, you're wealthy. It's a symbol of wealth, it's a symbol of health. But on the other hand, uh, on the other hand, it also, the, according to the Ralbag, she was also... A, Sarah realized correctly that being overweight could, uh, could deter fertility. So she needed to lose weight. We have all kinds of methods to lose weight. We can do exercise, we can do diet, we can have pills, we can have surgery. Sarah's method to lose weight was, he says, she wanted to put herself in a position of extreme aggravation. And the, the tsar and the, the, the stress would cause her to lose weight. Some people eat when they have stress, but I guess also if you're really stressed, you can just you know, not eat, you can lose weight. So the, the most stressful thing she could think of was to have Avram marry her tzara. Same thing with Rachel. Furthermore, he says, yeah, there might have been other things she could have do that would make her really stressed, he says, but this, was the, but this had a second point as well. If it didn't, didn't work for her, at least it would give her husband children, which was also good, which is also a favor she was willing to do for him. I'll call upon him, the Ralbag suggests that the goal of giving the shvachas to their husbands was to deliberately provoke themselves into... Uh, into, uh, into losing weight, and they'll be able to have children. We can debate the merits of this suggestion as Pshutosh mikra, as whether we, this is really the, the sense of the Psukim. The point is that Al-Bag was an arch-rationalist. He, the, 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 the greater point here is that Al-Bag believed that Chumash you know, needs to be understood by Derech HaPshat, and there's always some type of logical, rational, scientific explanation for everything that the, the Torah describes. And that, you know, there, there are strange psukim, but there are strange, uh, somewhat obscure stories in the Torah. But it's our job to interpret them as best as we can and to find some way of making sense of them, whether in the, whether in the long run we, we consider the Ralbag's particular suggestion persuasive or not. The, the greater lesson here, I think, is that the Ralbag believed that he was uh, committed to Pshat. He was one of the most, uh, he was a philosopher, but he was also committed to a, a form of Pshutosh mikra. And he was willing to go to great lengths to find some kind of rational explanation to explain what exactly was what exactly was happening uh, what exactly was happening there. We mentioned the the story of Chana as well. Chana is another one of the famous one of the seven akaras of the midrash. So Pnina it says that Pnina would deliberately bavor harima. Pnina would deliberately aggravate Chana in order to, uh, due to her uh, she would aggravate her. She would. Uh, Taunt her with her childless, her childlessness. So I, I, I always love to mention this as well. The, the Gemara says that there's a, there's a midrashic um, uh, interpretation of Chazal that Pnina was l'shem shemayim neskavna. Pnina was doing this deliberately uh, for good reasons, with good intentions. The road to hell may be paved with good intentions, but Pnina was doing this deliberately to provoke Hannah, to provoke her into tefillah, so she would daven and she would be zochet to have a child. The... Now, there's another statement of Chazal. There's a different Medrash that says Pnina was punished terribly for what she did to Chana. The, the, the Midrash interprets the, the Psukim of the Shira of Chana 
that as Hannah, that as Hannah had Shmuel and then had further children, Pina's children began to die until she was on the verge of losing her last children, until she begged Hannah to intercede for her, and Hannah did. That's why, Prina, that's why Prina's last, last children were actually called Hannah's children, because it was only in Hannah's merit they were spared. The point is, according to this other Midrash, Prina was punished terribly for what she did to, for what she did to Hannah. So some, 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 some of the Balibos are asked, they say, how do these two Midrashim, how are they consistent? If Prina was really L'Shem Shemayim, the Skavna, so why, uh, why was she punished so severely? So you could learn it's Midrash's Chalukas. You could learn it's Machlokas, whether Pina was a Shem Shemayim Neskavna or not. Some of the Balei Moser, though, argue that these, these Midrashim are consistent. They, they say that even if you mean L'Shem Shemayim, when you hurt another Jew, that's like playing with fire, even if you, you didn't do anything wrong, you're still going to get punished for it. Chaim Shulevitz has such an approach. Uh, we've discussed this in previous Shurim. Others, Rechaim Shalevitz's own Talmud, Rabbi Victor Nevinsal, says it can't be. If she did nothing wrong, how could she be punished? Rechaim Shalevitz said it's like fire. Fire is not about right and wrong. You stick your hand into the fire, you're going to get burned. You hurt another Jew, you're going to get, you're going to get uh, punished in consequence. How can that be, Rechaim Nevinsal says, if you do the right thing, it doesn't make sense. He reinterprets Rechaim Shalevitz to mean that there was, on some level, it wasn't quite the right thing, that she had some kind of uh, impure motive. But Rechaim Shalevitz Kipshuto seems to be saying that it's just a consequence. It's a... Uh, it's just the way of the world. Hashem created the world. You hurt somebody else, then you get punished. But I, what, what I particularly like to, uh, like to note is an idea of the Kotzker, I believe. The, the Kotzker says, how did the Gemara know that Pina was L'Shem Shemayim Neskavna? The Gemara says she was L'Shem Shemayim. How did the Gemara know? Maybe, maybe she was just uh, a terrible person. The Gemara's being down with Kafskos, I guess. But, uh, but how did the Gemara know this? How is the Gemara so sure that Pina was, was L'Shem Shemayim? Says the Kotzker, there are some things a person does that are so monstrous, that are so unthinkably evil, that nobody could do such a thing unless they were L'Shem Shemayim Neskavna. There, there are certain things that are just, you couldn't do them out of pure malice. You can only do certain things out of, uh, out of L'Shem Shemayim, out of uh, good intentions. That's what we mentioned earlier, the road to hell is paved with good intentions. Okay, so we have all these stories of the biblical Akaras. Another important point, before we get on to certain halachic aspects of this, another important point is... We, the, the Midrash raises the obvious question, why were so many uh, of the Imos HaKaras? Very large percentage. We have uh, three out of four, or four out of four, according to the Psikta of Kahana. So many of these women were HaKaras. What's the story with that? Why, why were there so many HaKaras? So one answer given, the, perhaps the most famous answer, is that HaKarash Baruch Shel Tzadikim. Hashem wants, wants us to pray, wants Tzadikim in particular to pray. The, the Bavli says this, the Gemara Nivama says this about the Avas themselves. The, the, the Bavli says that both Avraham and Yitzchak were both, were both Akarim as well. The women were Akaros and the men were at least Avraham and Yitzchak were, ak, were Akurim as well. And the, the Gemara says, Amr Rabbi Yitzchak, why were they Akurim? Why were the Avas Akurim? Because the Kosh Baruch Hu is Misavel, Tfilas, and Shel Tzadikim. Kosh Baruch desires their Tfilas. Obviously, Hashem doesn't need our Tfilas. We, we can't help Hashem. We can't benefit Hashem. Obviously, it's for our own good, according to classic Jewish thought. But the, the point is, Hashem wants, wants people to pray. He wants them to realize their, their, their dependence on Him. He wants them to come close to Him and Fila and so on. So Kosh Baruch wants them to pray, so He puts them in situations where they, where they need to pray. This idea is found in Bereshus Rabbah as well. Bereshus Rabbah asks the question about the Imahos, Velomenus Akru HaImahos. It brings Rabbi Levi, Mishem Rabbi Shila, Dekvar Tamarta, Rabbi Chelva, B'Shem Rabbi Yochanan. Kosh Baruch Hu wants the prayer of the, of the great Imos, so he made them barren. 
What's interesting, though, is that after giving this, this reason, this, I think, fairly well-known reason, the Midrash then gives three other reasons, which are rather less well-known, and these are uh, actually rather startling reasons. Second reason, the, the first of the, of the last three reasons, Rabbi Azari Mishum Rabbi Yochanan Bar Papa, Kishiyu Misrapkos Al Balean Benoyan. In order that their husbands might cling to them in their beauty, the, the Imaus were beautiful. Sarah was, uh, Avram said, uh, that, that Avram said at the beginning of Pashas Lechlecha, he said, Now I know that you're beautiful. He said, the, It says, that, I know that you are very, that you're, that you're beautiful. Rivka says, Vanara, Tovas Mara, Maod, Basula, Vishla Yadat. Also, she's described as being exceedingly beautiful. Rachel. Says, Rachel is described as being very beautiful. Leia, it's less clear. It says, It's not clear if that was a positive feature or a negative feature, but the, either way, the, again, three, at least three out of the four emotes are described as being extremely attractive. Not only that, but uh, we've discussed again in previous year, and we've discussed that according to, uh, according to some Mepharshim, Yaakov married Rachel. Yaakov fell in love with her because she was beautiful. The psukim say, And Yaakov loved her. There's an aliyah in between. That's where Shlishi starts, between those two psukim. People may not always make that connection, but some of the Mepharshim say there's a clear connection here. She was beautiful, and that's why he loved her. He, he loved her like men love women when they're beautiful. The Shvaz Yaakov says, that's the... That's what the Pasuk is Muchach, he says. It's, it's Muchach that he married her because she was very attractive. She was gorgeous. That's why, that's why he loved her. That's why he married her. Shavuot Yaakov proves from this that even though Chazal criticized those who marry L'shem Mammon, or he assumes uh, for other base motives as well, like L'shem Noi, that's only if that's your only motive. If you're, if you're purely marrying for base motives, that's not good. But if, but if you're marrying for dual reasons, like most people marry, most people marry someone they, they like, they, they, they fall in love with, or they want the money, and also because it's a mitzvah for the, for the, for the correct reasons, he says. That's fine. That's what Yaakov Avinu did. She was gorgeous, but also he married L'shem Shemayim, so that's fine. He proves from this that, uh, that, that, that a person is allowed to have ulterior motives as well. It's legitimate to have ulterior motives as long as you also marry L'shem Shemayim. But the point is, the Moes were beautiful, so the Midrash says that the Midrash, according to the gears that we have in Bereshus Rabbah, is that Kedeshim Misrapka, Salbalei, and Benoyan, a remarkable Midrash, Hashem wanted to preserve their beauty, so he prevented them from becoming pregnant so they could stay gorgeous. Sounds very strange, but that's what the Midrash says. There's an alternate gears of this, that there's, a very, there's a parallel Midrash in Shirashirim, Midrash Chazis, Shirashirim Rabbah. There the gears is Kedeshim Loyuhu Misrapka, Salbalei, and Benoyan, that their husband should not cling to them. Mepharshim explained that that means that the that, had they, that, that their husbands would have been very happy with them and, 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 they, would, they, and they might have, uh, the, and that they would, uh, that, um, that, the, that, that, that they might rely on their husbands and they, they, they might become complacent, their husbands love them, they're attractive, they, they, they might be too comfortable and uh, not have the proper uh, reliance on heaven. So Hashem made them barren so that despite their beauty, their husbands would... Uh, would have, they would worry that their husbands would have some kind of problem with them, so they would, they would feel the need to uh, that's how this is explained by the, by the Efei Torah. Okay, so there's two versions of this, either, the, either, either, the, either they were barren in order that they should stay beautiful and their husbands should, uh, should be uh, deeply in love with them, or that they were 
barren, that their husband should not uh, sh- sh- should not be as much in love with them, or they would worry their husbands, they would lose their husband's love, and therefore they would have to uh, rely on, Sha- on Hashem. Fine. That's the second approach of the Midrash. Third approach of the Midrash, says, So that most of the years would pass by without Shibut. Most of, most of the years, whose years? Not entirely clear. Should pass by without Shibud, without enslavement. What kind of enslavement? So when I, when I gave the share a few days ago, on Sunday, I said, I mean, so child-rearing child is very hard work. You have to take care of the kids. You have to diaper them and stay up with them at night and give them, feed them and clean up after them and, give them, and play with them and give them all kinds of attention. It's very hard work. Hashem wanted to, Hashem wanted to, to do a kindness to the Imahos and He wanted to spare them the, the grinding burden of Gidel Banim. So mainly he made them Akaris. Subsequently, I saw that the art scroll, the art scroll does not explain the Midrash like this, and the Etiosif does not explain the Midrash like this. They, they bring the Pshat of the Yifetar. The Yifetar was one of the great early Akronim 500 years ago uh, uh, commentaries on the Midrash Rabbah. He says an entirely different Pshat, means it has to do with how many years the Jews were going to suffer in Mitzrayim, that they, were, that, that they have an elaborate explanation that there was a fixed time that, that the Shebud would end. There was a certain year in history that Yitzhak Mitzrayim was going to happen. The later the children were born, we, we, know, we know that the... We know that the... That the... That the Shebud of Geras, of, of, of being a Ger, began when Yitzhak was born, and... Uh, the Sheba didn't begin until, the actual Sheba didn't begin until Yosef died and all his brothers. So, so, so the later Yitzchak and the later the Shvatim were born, the, the less actual Sheba, assuming, assuming, assuming that the Sheba ends, that everything ended on a certain fixed date in history, the later the, the various descendants of the Imos were born, the less, the less time they would have to suffer in the various forms of Geras and Sheba that, 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 that Hashem had been Gozer. He says it doesn't really explain. It doesn't really explain the. He, he says that. Uh, how does it explain Leah? What that? that it, well, he says Leah, Leah did have children right away. So if, if, you, if you're saying that the, if, that if you're saying that that the that that, that the shvatim that, that that it began with the, that that if you're saying that it, that it's the that, that that had to do with when the shvatim died. He says Leah had children earlier, but yeah, but but since Rachel had Yosef, didn't didn't have Yosef till later, and the. He says he, he, he makes an elaborate cheshbon of, of, of how the births of the various of the various descendants of the Imos affected when the Shebut started. He says, he says it doesn't really explain. Uh, he says it doesn't really explain Sarat. It doesn't really explain. Doesn't really explain why uh, why, why Yitzchak had to be born later. Okay, so he says. Uh, right, right. Earlier, he said that the. He says he, 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 he says right the Geiris was this guy from Noah Yitzchak, but uh, but the Oni and the Shebud started uh, started later. So it's, 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 the Oni and the Shebud started later. Anyway, he has an elaborate cheshbon of how the of, of how the I am sorry I'm not saying all the details exactly correctly I think here, but but he has uh, he has he has an elaborate cheshbon including Yitzchak as well of why the, the the suffering of the Jewish people was minimized. Was minimized by was was minimized by having the by by by, by having the various descendants of the most be born later, he says. And, that, and that's what Rov Hashanah below Shibud means. He calculates how it was Rov. So he ended so the Yefei Toar followed by the Yosef followed by the 
followed by the by Arts Girl says a, a much firmer shot, so to speak, that when the Chas Vashalom were not saying that the, it was good for the most to be barren because they would be free of the drudgery of raising children, but it had to do with how, how long the Jews would suffer in, uh, in, 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 in the Xera of the, the Shebrit of Mitzrayim. So I, when I saw this, I thought I made a mistake. I interpreted the Midrash incorrectly. That uh, I thought it meant this uh, this more down to earth uh, shot that, that that kind of uh, skeptical about raising children. But really, uh, we have this much firmer shot of the Yifetar, who is one of the great mafreshim of the midrash. But the truth is, it actually is a machlok sakronim because one of the other early early prominent commentators on midrash from around the same time was the Sefer Manaskuna, the commentary Manaskuna. He explains he explains like we said it. He explains he explains like I said it that the that that that, that, that when we talk about the shibud. What we mean is, what we mean is, the, the Manaskuna says, Shibud shall tsar heirayon v'gidl banim, that, the, that it, means the, it means the actual Shibud of raising children. Okay, so the, the fourth reason of the Midrash is actually similar to the second one, the, that, that it was good for them to be beautiful, and childbirth uh, detracts from beauty. The, the, the Midrash says, in the end of the Brejus Rabbah, it says, Rav Hunav, Rabbi Avon, B'Shem Rimeir, Amakesh the husband should enjoy their beauty, uh, the Fetar explains it's basically the same as the second reason. The second reason focuses on them, that, uh, that it, it was for their benefit to, 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 to keep, it, was, it was for their benefit to keep their, to keep their, uh, it, it was for their benefit to keep, to keep their husband's love, as opposed to the, as, 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 opposed, as opposed to the fourth shot, that it was, let me just read how he says it, he says that, So he's a right, mayor. The fourth pshat talks about Hanas Bailam. It, it, it was so that the husband should enjoy them, and the earlier pshat uh, was that uh, the mitan nashim. So the women, so the women should experience the, the women should experience the, the, the fealty and the, the doting of their husband. Then he says he prefers the gears of Shira Shirim Rabbah. That the second pshat is Shaloyu Misrabah, which we said earlier, so that they should not, uh, that the husband should not uh, be so devoted to them because of the barrenness. They would have to rely on uh, rely on a kosh Okay. So, we, so the famous pshat is that Akash Baruch Hu Mesavlet Shlossin Shel Tzadikim, but we also have these, we also have these uh, somewhat uh, less well-known pshatim, that, that it was possibly to spare them the, the, the drudgery of childbirth, of, chi- of child raising, or that it was to keep them beautiful so that they would uh, enjoy their husband's uh, doting affection and, uh, and that their husband should enjoy their beauty. So Hashem pushed off their, uh, their childbirth until they were much older, so to, to preserve their beauty and to, and to give them a life of... Uh, a life of leisure and of comfort instead of the, the busy life of running around after children, at least the way the Maniskuna explains, or to, uh, to minimize the suffering, the suffering that the Jewish people would, uh, the Jewish people would go through in, uh, in, in Mitzrayim and the related Shibut. I'll just read from the Yifei Torah inside, since I didn't say it so clearly before. He says, Rov shan and blow Shibut, how does that work? Pirish, he says, that most of the years, that the years that there was Xerah of Gerus on the descendants of Avram, should be without Shibud, meaning the Geras was a total period of time, and most of that hopefully would be just Geras, not actual Shibud. Because the Geras began when Yitzchak was born. That, that, that's a famous Midrash that the 400 years began from the birth of Yitzchak. Birth of Yitzchak was 30 years after the, 30 years after the Brisbane Abbasarim. And 430 years, they said they left after 430 years, that was when, when Avram was 70 from the, that was 430 years, and the Gzera 400 was 30 years later when Avram was 100, the birth of Yitzchak. And the Inu and the Shibud, uh, that, that only occurred in Mitzrayim. The 400 is, it, the 400 is going on the years of Geras, not the Shibud. The Shibud was a subset of those 400 years, was a proper subset, was actual Shibud, 
and the, and the goal of having the children reborn later was to minimize the, minimize the, 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 the percentage of those Geiris years which were actual Shebun. He says the Shebun only began when Yosef and all his brothers died. So Rover the years were without Shebun because when Yitzchak was born until they got to Mitzrayim was 190 years. And then the 17 years, the, the, the Yaakov was there and Mitzrayim was, was 207 years. That was, that was more than half. There were 400 years and, 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 the, and until Yaakov died, there, was, uh, there were 207 years below Shebun. Had the children been born earlier and the Shvatim, they, they, they came down to Mitzrayim because of the Shvatim, that would have happened earlier. And they would have gotten to Mitzrayim earlier, and Yaakov and the Shvatim, uh, everyone would have died earlier. They would have been born earlier and died earlier. And then the Shebun would have, would have began then, would have begun then. And then it would be more than, than, than the Shebun might have been uh, more than the 193 years that it was otherwise. Even though, even though Leah did have children right away, he says, but since Rachel, you know, the, the whole thing happened through Yosef, and, 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 and that didn't happen until Yosef was, 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 a, was a teenager and, was, and had his whole quarrel with the Shvatim. So therefore, by, by having Rachel have children later, we reduce the, the percentage of the 400 years it was actual Shebud, we reduce. He goes on and says, that doesn't explain why, why Sarah was not Kara, because again, Yitzchak began the Geras, but the Geras was not being minimized. The Geras taste was fixed at 400 years. The goal here was to minimize the proportion of the 400 years, uh, minimize the proportion of the 400 years that was, uh, that was actual Shebud, and that was not affected by, by Sarah's Akris. But he says, yeah, he says the, he says the 400 years was the Torah said, Kilo, kilo Shalem Avon HaEmari, the, 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 the cup of the Emorite sins had not reached its, uh, the level at which they would need, needed to be annihilated. And that didn't happen until the Jews left Mitzrayim. Had Yitzchak been born earlier, then the Geiris would have begun uh, earlier as well, because they, they couldn't go into Eretz Yisrael until later, he says. And then, uh, and then, uh, so, so, so then, that, that, then the Geiris would have begun earlier, and then I suppose the Shebud might have, might, might have taken longer as well because they couldn't go in until that deadline. And therefore, also, the, the, had Yitzchak been born earlier, the, 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 the Shebud might have been earlier as well. I'm not, I'm not sure why it, wouldn't have, why it wouldn't have just been uh, year for year. I'm not sure why that would have changed the changed it to Rove. But he says, okay, and it might have been Rove for Shonim Bashibur. He says, I'll call upon him. This is the, the firmer, maybe, maybe less uh, startling shot that he says, and the Manaskuna says it means that they that should be free of the drudgery of, of childbirth. Now, th- there's an important halachic point that, that, that the Gemara discusses in the context of the, the infertility of Avram and Sarah and Yitzchak and Rivka. The, the Gemara in Yuvama says that if a person is with his wife, they're together for 10 years, and they don't have children, he should divorce her and marry somebody else. Mishnah says, Nasa Isha v'sha'ima esr shanam v'layolda, 10 years without children, ena rasha'i levatel. He can't, he can't give up, he can't just keep doing things as he's been doing, he has to, he, he, has, to, he, he has to do something, he has to divorce her and marry, marry someone else, or, to, or take a second wife while he's married to the first, he has to marry a second wife. The Gemara says, Maybe he's not going to have children from her. He has to marry somebody else. The, the Gemara says, the Brisa says, we don't have a proof for this from the Torah. We have an illusion and we have a Zechel Adover. Because it says about Avram, it says about Avram when Sarah gave him Hagar to marry, it says that occurred. That happened at the end of 10 years of Avram living in Eretz Canaan. So we see that after 10 years, you have to do something. And yet, it doesn't say it was Avram's initiative, it says it was Sarah's initiative, but uh, it, it's a, it's a, it's a Zechel Adavar. After 10 years, 
you have to do something. We, we, 10 years, we, we assume there's a fertility problem, and the man has an obligation to do something to Mekai in the mitzvah of Puru The Gemara goes on and says, okay, what about Arpasha? What about Yitzchak, it says? Yitzchak was 40 years old, the Kaktos Rivka. The, the Torah begins by telling us he was 40 when he married her. We're not told exactly how old she was. There, there, there's a midrash that she was that she was three, but Yitzchak was forty. That much is, is explicit in the pasuk. When the Torah describes the eventual birth of Yaakov and Esav, it says he was sixty. So apparently, twenty years passed, and he, he hadn't he hadn't done anything. So if, if we have to do something, if we have to do something after ten years, Rashi is the answer. Yes. So Rashi, Rashi says that why, Rashi actually asks, why didn't he marry a shifcha? Rashi on Arab Parsha says, Rashi explains the chronology, he says he, when Yitzchak married her, he waited 10 years, Rashi is working with the Midrash that she started out at 3 when he married her. Other Risharim Madara Chapshat disagree, they say she was older, but the, the Midrash says she was 3, so he waited 10 years until she was uh, of childbearing age, at puberty, and she, and she was 13. Another 10 years, he says he hoped that, you know, up to 10 years, he can still hope that she'll, that she'll conceive naturally, that it, up to 10 years, it, it, we don't say that, uh, that there's a, we don't have a strong presumption of infertility yet, that uh, just like Abraham waited for Sarah for 10 years. Once she didn't conceive after 10 years, 10 years of childbearing uh, age, he realized she was an Akara, and then he davened, and uh, as the Gemara says. So, so according to Rashi, According to Rashi, there were, there were only ten years when he went, ten years only ten years had passed uh, when she was uh, when she was of childbearing age, and Rashi adds, so he just haven't. Why didn't he do something else? Why didn't he do ishtadlus of uh, actual derechateva, this worldly ishtadlus? Rashi says, well, what could he have done? He could have done what Avram did, which was marry a shifcha. Rashi says, shifcha l'ratzalisa l'fishinus kash bar Maria lias olatamima. He didn't want to marry a shifcha because he had a special kedusha because of his being offered as an ola. And therefore, he couldn't marry a shifcha. So, according to Rashi, it was really only ten years. It just it was really only ten years. Just that at ten years, he didn't do what Avram did. He did tefillah, but he didn't do. He didn't take the, the more concrete steps that Avram took because he was he was niskadish bar Maria lias olatamima. The Gemara though doesn't say this. The Gemara says, well, what? How could he wait twenty years? So the Gemara says, the Gemara says that Yitzchak Akurhaya. The reason Yitzchak didn't have to do anything, the, the reason Yitzchak didn't, do, didn't take action, didn't, didn't do anything else, is because he was an awkward. He knew that he was infertile, and therefore it wouldn't have mattered. There's no point in marrying somebody else, or divorcing her or anything, because what's he going to accomplish? The problem, it's male factor infertility. So, so what is, what's it going to help to marry somebody else? The problem is with him, not with her. The Gemara goes on and says, uh, and, and says that uh, Avram also was an awkward. That's... Uh, that, that, that's based on it. Later, the Gemara Dashim Sukim, it says, it says, Habituel Tsurkutsavtim from Akevers Bar Nukartem, a reference to Avram and Sarah, Habituel Avram Avichem, El Sarah to Cholelchem, that it says that we Dashim from this Pasuk that they were originally, uh, that they were originally, they didn't even have proper reproductive organs. Hashem had to make a nace, even Avram didn't have the physical capacity of having children. So Avram also was an Akur, the Gemara says, but the Hashem had to make a nace for him to have children, but Yitzchak also was an akur. So it says that the, it says that the, it says that it, it, it so the, but, but actually, yeah, the, the Gemara says that the, that the reason Yitzchak, that, that the reason Yitzchak didn't have to, that the that that, that, the, that, the, that the reason Yitzchak didn't that the re- Yitzchak really didn't have to do anything anyway because 
he was an Akur, and, uh, and, 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 and that's why he waited 20 years. Avram was also an Akur, the Gemara says. I'll call upon him so that the Gemara tells us there is, an obli- there is a generally an obligation to divorce, to do something to fulfill period of Arivia if 10 years have gone by, except if you're an Akur, then what are you supposed to do? If, if, if the problem is with you, then marrying someone else is not going to help you, and, theref- and therefore there is, there, there's no obligation to do anything. Now, this halacha is, this, this, this is, this is a halacha psuka. Like Mark Suvis goes even further and says that the Gemara brings Machlokas. One opinion is we, we don't force we ain't kofinosa, we don't force him to divorce her. But Maskana the Gemara is Rav Shachlifa Baravini Amar Shmuel says we do force him to divorce her. Kofinosa. We force him to divorce her. How do we force him? The Gemara discusses that as well. The Gemara initially says we're only kofibamili. We only, we, we only compel him by, by verbal means. The Mar says, no, that, that's not called kfiyah at all. But varm avid. That's not, not called kfiyah. If we're not using actual force, you can't call that kofin. Maskana the Gemara is, bishuti. We force him to divorce her by using force. Basin has the, has the power to force people to do the right thing. So if someone is married 10 years, he has to divorce her. He doesn't want to. Basin uses coercion to force him to divorce his wife. And this is the halacha. This seems to be the halacha. Yes. So, so the so, 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 so the question is, do we let him? Do we let him keep her? And uh, that that do we, do we let him keep her? And uh, that that do we do we let him keep her and marry another one or not? So so there's a svara. So that, so, so 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 there is a svara that, that we cannot do that. That that the problem is that, that they won't that that it, it'll be hard for him to marry another wife. They won't want to give him another wife as long as, as long as he's married to the first one. And that's a subject of a tshuva in the Rivash. The, the Gemara says, the Gemara in Yivama says that the, when the Gemara discusses this, the Gemara discusses this, 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 divorce. So the Gemara says, right, the, the, the Mishnah says, the, the Gemara and the Mishnah say, Yotzi. The, 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 the Mishnah just says, Eina Rashai Levatel. The mission just says you have to do something. The Gemara says Yoti Vitin Suva, he divorces her. Right, and, 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 the, and the Gemara says, and the Gemara in Suva says that, that we actually force him to divorce her. The question is, right, why can't he say, why can't he say I'm just going to uh, why 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 can't he why can't he say I'm I'm gonna keep her and uh, why why can't he what what why 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 can't he say I'm gonna keep her and marry another one? So the issue is, I don't have the exact section of the Gemara that deals with that, the issue is that there's a concern that as long as he has one, they're not going to want to give him another one. They, 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 they're going to say that, uh, that you have one already, so who wants to marry? Lots of things make it hard to be in Shaduchim. People can have uh, mental illness in their family, or uh, not, not such a prestigious job, or so on. Having a wife is, is really not going to be in your favor if you're trying to find another wife. But uh, women are going to, again, depends on the culture, as we'll see in the, in the Chuvah and the Rivash in a moment, but in general, it's the, in order to make sure that in order to make sure that the that, that you have the realistic opportunity of that you have the realistic opportunity of finding of finding uh, of the, the realistic opportunity of, of of finding another wife. They said that the, that 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 you should that you should divorce the that you should divorce the first one. So the Rivash has a tshuva where where, where he deal, he deals with a seminal tshuva on this topic. His tshuva was about someone who wanted to marry an older woman, a really, a really older woman. She was over 90. He hadn't, because she, she had money. And he hadn't fulfilled the mitzvah of Pru-Ravu. And the community wanted to object. They said, you can't do this. You have to marry someone closer to your age who can have children. 
he said, I can do whatever I want. Uh, so the, the, this question actually went to the, the person, the, this person appealed to the ruler of the city and said, the Jews are giving me a hard time. There's no such halacha. They're stopping me from marrying the woman of my choice. They have no right to do that. So they agreed to, the, this, this, this mayor of the city, he agreed to appeal to the Rivash to uh, issue a ruling on Torah law. According to, under Jewish law, is, is a person allowed to marry a woman who is not fertile? So the Rivash says, according to the Dina de Gemara, if you haven't, if it, there's a mitzvah pruravu, that means you have to have at least one boy and one girl. As long as you haven't done that, then you have, you're not allowed to marry a woman who's not fertile. You have to marry a woman who's capable of having children. And the Gemara Ksuva says, we're actually kofa. It says, we're kofa lahotzi. He says, the Basin says, you have to, you have to, you have to divorce her in order to marry a, uh, in order to marry another wife. And the Gemara Ksuva says, he says that we don't just say, he says, we don't just say stay married to her. And then marry another one because the, the Gemara Suva says, because they won't give him another one if he's married to her. So you have to divorce her. So, so, so you have to even divorce your wife. Certainly, we don't let, we don't let you get married to someone who's not capable of having children. And the Gemara is talking about a case where the woman is infertile, and that's a bigger chedesh. Maybe, maybe there's a cure or a treatment for it, he says. Still, you have to divorce her. Certainly, the woman is 90, he says. There's no way, but Derechateva, she, she's going to have children. Sarah had a child at 90, but without an ace, that was a major ace. Without an ace, there is no way she's having a child. And, and you're not even married to her yet. You haven't fulfilled Pru Revu. Certainly, it is Mikra uh, Din, Medina de Gemara. They would be co for you to divorce her, he says. However, he says, that's Dina de Gemara. Shura said Din. He says, Mana said, not the minute, like he says. Lorinu biamenu, I've never seen this, he says. Loshimanu mikamadaros, for, for a long time, he says, that we've never heard of such a thing. Basin does not do this. Basin does not get involved in enforcing these halachas. The din of Esrashanim, even if he has no children. Why, he says, really, Basin should. They should force that either to divorce her, or at the very least to marry another one, he says. You haven't done Puru yet, he says. He goes back and forth on this, he says. But really, really, the din would be that, that Basin should, he says. Why don't they? So he says, the, the reason we don't, he says, is that because he says there are so many cases where I'll be these halachas and related halachas, similar halachas, you, you have to divorce, and Basin would compel them to get divorced. It would create a tremendous amount of machlokas. He says, Rov hanashim habos biyamim. Most women who are getting older would have to be divorced, assuming the husband hasn't fulfilled pru revu, and, and, and they would be entitled to their ksuva and their nadunya. There'd be all kinds of financial consequences. And Tigra, they'd be fighting about the money all the time, he says, Tata, it would lead to all kinds of quarreling, Umamariva. So somehow because it would just lead to so much social uh, friction, so much disruption, and so many so much quarreling and social instability, he says. The Chachmedara said, sometimes discretion is the better part of valor. We're not going to do anything about this. We're just going to let it go, he says. Um, we're, we're, not, we're not even going to stop them from getting married. We're certainly not going to break up the marriages. As long as they're getting along and they're not coming to Bastin and fighting, he says, even though Meikra Din, yes, in a perfect world, we tell them there's a mitzvah pru revu, you have to get divorced. We're not going to do that, he says. We're going to let them go because the, we're going to let them go because the, it would create too much fighting. Therefore, he tells the people in his case, he says, that the, in your case, if you want to follow this minhag of just not doing anything, of just turning a blind eye, if they want to get married, they're happy together, and if you based and you want, if you, if you want to follow this minute, you can do that, he says. In this case, the, pa- the fellow had apparently behaved uh, disrespectfully toward the Dayan, who tried to stop him. He says, if you want to throw the book at him and sanction him and punish him for being uh, disrespectful to the Dayan, you can do that too, he says. But, you, he says, but the, the bottom line, the halacha is, Meikra Din, even though Meikra Din of the Gemara, Basin uses force to prevent marriages which will 
which will not satisfy the mitzvah pru revu, but the minog for a long time has been that Basin does not do so. For the reason he gives, it'll cause quarreling, and therefore he says there's an established minhag, a long, a long-standing minhag. Basin does not enforce this halach. The Ramah brings this. The Ramah passing like this: Lamaisin Shulchan Aruch Avnezer. The Ramah says Basin does not kofa for these things because of, based on this rivash. He says that even if someone wants to marry someone who is an akara or is a kena, he hasn't done pru revu, either because he loves her or he's infatuated with her or because she has money. Medina, we should protest, he says, but for many generations, the, the custom has been that we do not enforce these halachas. Now, the revulsion of the Ramaj is saying that we don't enforce the halacha. It doesn't say the halacha doesn't apply. It doesn't say the person who knows the halacha and wants to do the right thing shouldn't do it. He just says that the, the minig is, the Rivash says, or Ramah says, the minig is, Basin doesn't get involved. Basin doesn't do this, it would cause fighting, and Basin just turns a blind eye. It seems, my impression is, that this halacha is not widely followed bismanazeh. I'm not aware of virtually any case where a couple, sometimes infertility puts a strain on the marriage, and then the marriage breaks up. But I'm not aware of any case, I'm, I'm not, I'm, I, don't, you know, I don't have such wide experience, but I'm not really aware of cases where today, in contemporary times, where a couple who were happy together, who loved each other, were getting along, decided it's terrible, but we're going to get divorced because it's the right thing to do, because that's what the Torah wants. I'm not really sure why. The Ezer Mikodesh, or Ram David Warman, the Bachacha, in the 19th century, he touches on this. He says, we have the Rivash, who says, Basin is not Kofa. But furthermore, he says, not only that, he doesn't say the Lacha doesn't apply, but he says, Al Piharov, Ein Omer Gamkein Bnei Chusa Belikfiya Bazah. Generally, Basin doesn't even instruct them to get divorced, even without Kfir. Even that Basin doesn't do. Certainly, they don't compel them to get divorced. They don't even tell them you have to get divorced. Why? He has all kinds of sadim about uh, we don't really know where the infertility is. Maybe he's an akur like Yitzchak, the Allah wouldn't apply. Sveikas and Svek Sveikas, and maybe she won't accept the get, and maybe she'll, and maybe, and maybe, uh, and, and all kinds of questions, he says. Again, he's not, he's not really saying the halacha doesn't apply. He's saying why he, he's really just following in the footsteps of the rivash and saying why the halacha do, why why basin doesn't enforce it and why uh, there's doesn't to be mekel. Still, again, the gemara says this is a halacha, and then it's hard to just dismiss the it's hard to just dismiss the, the halacha because of all these kinds of stuff. And the gemara also knew these things that, that it's terrible to get divorced and that uh, and, and that she might not take the get and. Uh, and uh, maybe he, maybe he won't want to give the get. He says because it's expensive. And uh, I'm sorry, the, the, the bachacha focuses, right, right, maybe she won't want to take the get, maybe he won't want to give the get. The more also know all these things, but if a person is doing it, if a, if a couple wants to do the right thing, and they, and, they, and they want to do what the Torah says, and they're not going to fight, and everything is fine, then it would seem the halacha should apply. Lamai says, as I said, it, 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 there, are, there are cases we know of even Gedolei Torah who did not get divorced, even though they had no children. Again, in any specific case, you can't really prove anything, maybe that was a case where... The diagnosis was male factor infertility, like Yitzchak was an awkward, so there's no point in, no point in getting divorced. Okay, but Lamaisa, the, the halacha is, for, for, for whatever reason, the halacha doesn't seem to be that widely followed. The Archa Shulchan also brings all kinds of, he doesn't say the halacha doesn't apply, but he brings various different Dade Hatter. And he says the reason we're so quick to, to bring all kinds of Heterim to not apply this Gemara, he says, is because Bamas the Gemara is a Chumra Gedola, he says. Because a person's not mechayev to do more than a reasonable effort. The person did what he's supposed to do. He got married. He tried to have children. He made a good faith effort. Tell him he has to divorce his wife. He says, uh, "What do you want him to do?" He says, "Well, I said because of the great mitzvah pru revu, the chum did say that a person should divorce his wife and marry someone else. But uh, but if there's any other reason, any ayla, any reason we could say why he shouldn't have to do this, he says that." Uh, 
that, that even Be'ela Kaldehu will, will, will avoid applying, will avoid applying this halacha because at the end of the day it's a tremendous thing to ask. Some postkim actually said, we know the halacha is that you don't have to spend more than a chomish on a mitzvah. Some postkim say you don't spend more than a chomish, some say you don't have to spend even, even, even less than that you don't have to spend, you don't have to spend more than a reasonable amount. Giving up your wife, so first of all, the ksuva can be a lot of money. Some post can actually said in a case where the ksuva is, uh, is a lot of money and, you can't, and it's hard to afford, that itself is a heter not to divorce her. She has the right to demand her ksuva. Furthermore, post can raise the question that we, we've discussed this in the past, but what about non-financial costs? The person giving up the wife who he loves, isn't that a terrible price to have to pay? That should be, that should be more than a chomish. Your money or your wife, the jokes go, but you know, so for many people, it, uh, hopefully it's a lot more than a chomish to have to give up their wife. Abinezer actually asked this question, how can the Torah tell you you have to divorce your wife, but you don't have to spend a chomish? He has an answer to why Pru-Ravu is different, why a person does have to spend uh, more than a chomish for Pru-Ravu. But the point is, it's a, it's a tremendous chiddush, and it's a tremendously uh, difficult thing to do, to, to, to ask someone to divorce his wife. The postkim looked for a term. I'm not aware of any, even in the contemporary postkim, I'm not aware of any wholesale statement that we simply ignore this halacha, but in practice, it, it seems to be not very often applied the revulsion that Ezra Mikodesh just said, Basin doesn't enforce it, Basin doesn't demand it, and Post can come up with all kinds of other reasons why it might not apply in particular cases, although, again, I'm not aware of any real blanket reason why it should never be applied, but Post can be certainly reluctant to apply this din, and my, my impression is that it is rarely implemented bismanazeh. Just uh, close with one other kind of hashkafic point about this. In the, about 100 years ago, so there was a masculine, a fellow named David David Frischman, he was a man of letters, a writer, an editor, a translator, a critic. And he, he composed a story called Mitzvah. It's a kind of philosophical attack on religious piety. He's kind of making fun of Mitzvah. He's arguing that uh, Mitzvah, the, the proponents of Mitzvahs, like to argue that it's, uh, Mitzvahs are illuminating and enlightening and they elevate people. But in practice, he argues mit- Mitzvahs are often uh, the product of, of coldness and callousness and... Uh, and narrowness, he says, and he gives various examples of mitzvahs that lead to bad consequences. He talks about the that we discussed recently. Did that come from great love and love of Hashem and joy? Did it come from a kind of ruthlessness and coldness and amorality? Okay, we know the answer to that, obviously, but he, this, this Frischman uh, wasn't convinced. And he, he gives one example. He gives this terrible, heartbreaking story of, a, a poem of, 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 I think it's fiction, but he gives this terrible, heartbreaking story of a family that uh, is destroyed because the the father persuades his son to divorce his wife because she's gone 10 years with, without, a, uh, without having children, destroys his whole family, everyone is, everyone is, everyone is devastated and broken. And it, well, it's very dramatic, very 19th century literary description of the destruction of this whole family following this mitzvah that, uh, that uh, people, are, people are rigid and, uh, and uh, cold-hearted and, and, and they're just following these, uh, these cold and impersonal rules. And anyway, it's a, long, it's a long story told with all kinds of, not a long story, but it's uh, told over hundreds of words, pages and pages of, uh, of melodrama about, how, about what a terrible, terrible consequence the mitzvah is. Therefore, Frischman is not convinced that mitzvahs are really such, a, such great things. After all, he concludes the story by saying, uh, by saying, mitzvah, yeah, I, know, I, I know very well what mitzvahs are to Jewish people, he says. But is, uh, he says, ulam, however, I'm really not sure, he says, hayam rochav levu v'neshama yisera, do our mitzvahs uh, based on a uh, br- br- breadth of heart and, a, and an elevated, sp- an extra spirit, a rak shelev, or a hard-heartedness, v'chazak ruach, and, uh, and uh, stubbornness? Is it vatranus or ikshus? Is it based on generosity and, 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 and giving up, or is it based on stubbornness? 
and uh, he's not convinced. Rav Cook, Rav Yisrael Cohen Cook, felt the need to respond to this in, an, in a small essay. He writes, he says, fine literature, hasifrut hayafeh, hayafeh, he says, fine literature sometimes fights against the organized religion, its laws, its prescriptions, and so on, he says. It tries to convince people, the young people, that mitzvahs are, are all these laws and all this, all this rigid ritual, he says, and it provides these dramatic cases of how the Torah can lead to catastrophe and tragedy for people, he says. But Rav Cook says that you're missing the point. You're being all uh, emotional and you're short-sighted and childish, he says, but the goal of the Torah, the goal of mitzvahs, he says, is not to provide the best result for every person in every circumstance. It is, on the whole, to provide the, the greatest felicity for Klal Yisrael, for the nation, for society as a whole, he says. We need more people. He doesn't believe, like the Malthusian, Malthusians, that we have too, too many people in the world, overpopulation. He believes more like Elon Musk, that we need more people, that, uh, that the Torah believes we need lots more people, he says. That he says, you know, we can't change the halacha because of individual people's needs. That's how law works. That's how halacha works, he says. This is not a, 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 an adult, serious argument, he says, to, compl- to say, oh, look what happened in this t- case. It was a person suffered terribly because of the mitzvah, he says. The, the, the goal of the mitzvah, he says, is, is, is for the good of Klal Yisrael, the good of the world as a whole. He says the Torah is based on greater and higher considerations than the, than the, than the short-sighted uh, aesthetic considerations of literature, he said, of individual people, he said. The Torah brings, uh, brings life to society, he says. He says, the, he says that people have to give up their personal desires for the, for the good of the nation, for the good of the world, he says. That this, the, as, as Mr. Spock said uh, in Star Trek, that the good of the many outweighs the good of the few or the one, he says. He says, who knows, he says, by having more children, who knows what good more people can bring to the world, to bring to human society, he says. Only, he says, human short-sighted considerations can look only at what this person is going to suffer from following the halakha, he says. But, uh, but, 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 but can, can you imagine how, uh, how much good more people and the, con- the contributions they can make? He says, uh, more workers, the work can be done better. More laborers, the world can be built and developed. Because of this person's, uh, it's, an emotional, it's a personal emotional tragedy for him, but the idea that the halacha should be changed, that the halacha somehow is, is perverse because it causes pain to individuals, the halacha is designed to bring the greatest felicity to the world and society as a whole. And that's the true answer to this, he says. But he says, if you want to play games with melodrama, he says, he can go even deeper, he says, I can tell you, I can turn around your whole drama, he says, I can construct a drama the other way around, he says, imagine, and he proceeds to construct a drama the other way, he says. He says, very often, a couple that's not fertile together, if they marry other people, they can have children, he says. So imagine a couple, they love each other, he says, but they realize that Torah says they have to get divorced. If they would stay together, they'd be happy in, in each other, but they would remain childless until the day they die, he says. So terrible that they, they, they're, they're old, they have no children, no family, they have just themselves, he says. On the, on the contrary, he says, the couple that follows the halacha, they get divorced, they marry other people, each one has a... Uh, has a lovely family, he says, and when they marry off their children, and they, uh, they see all their children and grandchildren, he says, and, and, and he says, imagine these two spouses who are divorced, and they meet at the chasna, it's not musr, they don't speak to each other in great length, he says, but they're so happy, even though they feel bad that they gave each other up, but they saw that it was for the good of everyone, that each one of them had a wonderful family, he says, the other couple that stayed together, they just feel so depressed, they have nothing, they have no children, no hope, no future, he says, you want to make drama, he says you can make drama in both directions as well. You, you, you can't establish, 
even though even though the human element is important in halacha, you can't establish halacha by tear jerking uh, melodramas. He says, first of all, because halacha has to look for the good of society as a whole, and second, because you want to make drama, you can make drama in either direction. We mentioned previously, we mentioned recently that Rav Cook did believe that natural morality was important, that a person's internal conscience was, was not to be trifled with, that, that the halacha has to has to uh, has to work in harmony with a person's natural moral instincts. He says, but you know. The literary aesthetes who are making up uh, dramas that what can go wrong, he says, that's not the way we establish halacha. Yes, a person's moral conscience should be consulted, but the halacha, he says, this halacha in particular, halacha in general, is for the benefit of people, for the benefit of the world, and there may be tragedy. Yes, the, the, the halacha is, you know, the, not everyone will be happy all the time, but that's not a reason to change the halacha, he says. The halacha is designed for the, for the greatest good for people in general. Even for these people, it may very well result in their long-term good. The fact that it will cause pain and suffering in the short term, and for some people, that's terrible, but uh, that's, that, that, that's, uh, that's a terrible, terrible thing. But that's not a reason to, not a reason to attack or challenge the halacha. It's not a reason to argue that the halacha should be other than it actually is.